Are you ready for good talk? And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. It's a good talk Friday. Chantal Hébert is in uh, Montreal. Bruce Anderson is in Ottawa. I'm in uh, Toronto. And we got lots to talk about today, as we always do on Good Talk. And it's good talk we talk about on Good Talk, I think. All right, I'm confused. You suck at that. Whatever that was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'm a little, well, I don't know whether I'm confused or surprised. I'm in my normal state of, uh, of confusion, I guess. Here, here's the situation. I, you know, well, we're, ha- we're here to help. I know you are, and I'm going to call on you right or, now to or, help. Or not. We're trying to make you lose your train of thought here, and <laughs> yes. we're doing well, I can yeah, tell. Yeah, you are. We're off to you start. Are. What I don't understand is how a couple of announcements, you know, trotted out that could have been made any time over the last six months or even six years. Um, those, plus, a, you know, a nice group photograph with a bunch of caucus members standing smiling and apparently adoringly at their leader as he spoke at the microphone yesterday this is 24 hours after many people were expecting some form of public hanging to take place in the liberal caucus in london that's not what happened and suddenly the talk is oh they've recovered it's all going to be okay you know they uh, he he He's had a great 24 hours, and, you know, he, he silenced the critics. That's being Justin Trudeau. Is that really the story, Chantel? Well, it's a bit more complicated than that. You and I covered the, the constitutional discussions, and I remember thinking back at the time that there was something manic about how we went about the constitutional coverage. Um, one of my colleagues had a... Uh, and I'm not going to use the word he used to describe the coverage. It was uh, it went from Canada dead. I'm, I'm trying not to use the F word he used or Canada saved from 24 hours to 24 hours. There's a deal in the making and Canada is saved or everything is falling apart. Uh, and there is a bit of that. That being said, um, what happened over the past two days, the, the caucus meeting uh was fairly predictable on the one hand, because if you are a liberal MP, you are not going to hang a leader in the morning in public when you do not have a substitute that is demonstrated to be able to do better than the current leader in voting intentions. Uh, And that's a major difference, for instance, between how caucus felt when Paul Martin was in the picture, or even when in other uh, parties, when Brian Mulroney was standing just behind Joe Clark or John Turner was standing uh, behind Pierre Trudeau, Jean Chrétien, Justin Trudeau doesn't have that kind of person at this point uh, that uh, liberal members can say, well, this guy is going to sink us and we have this person who will save us. So the best thing to do is to kind of keep it inside uh, the family until for further notice. I'm not saying that will last forever. Uh, the polls we saw this summer, if they are still as disastrous uh, in the spring, the mood is going to become uglier. But between now and then, I think most uh, MPs uh, have decided that they are going to let the prime minister give it a try. You said that they all looked happy. Well, they did applaud bit too much for people trying to work at the news conference. But some of the cutaways did not show people um, giddy with excitement, (laughs) put it this way. And I'm going to give them a break here. If I were asked to stand behind someone giving a news conference with a bunch of other people for half an hour, I probably wouldn't look terribly happy about being there. Uh, It's it's a strange idea. uh, And I understand the optics. I think we will. I'm going to Stop there because I have stuff to say about the announcements themselves, but uh, I know that Bruce wants to jump in. Yeah, go ahead. Give, you, <laughs> give your sort of general assessment, Bruce, before we break it down. With yeah, some. well, you know what? I, when I was listening to you say, and now the story is that everything is fine. I hadn't heard that story. That is not the, what I took away from it. I'm sure there are some people who are who are kind of 
pushing that. But um, I I do think that what happened this week was mostly predictable, but also there was some stuff that couldn't have happened that helpfully did. I think that the prime minister was exposed to uh, some fairly blunt assessments from his uh, members of parliament about what they were hearing at the doors. I think that that is a, is a productive part of politics. I think overall, my general sense is uh, competition has arrived at Canadian politics to a degree that it hasn't uh, been for a while. And it's a productive thing. Uh, even if you're the kind of voter who doesn't like what Pierre Polyev has to say, Polyev is putting the Liberals on notice that he'll beat them unless they improve their game. And I think that's a good thing for uh, the health of democracy. Now, whether Justin Trudeau has the ability to do what he would need to do in order to compete more effectively with Pierre Polyev remains to be seen. But this week's meeting uh, was a stress test of that, an internal stress test of that. Uh, and I would have been more than shocked if um, that blunt talk that happened, I believe happened behind closed doors, caucuses secret, so you never know exactly what happened. But I would have been shocked if it had spilled out publicly uh, after the fact. Um, I don't think, I think members go to those meetings thinking it'll be better if we have this conversation behind closed doors rather than outside. And so when they have the conversation, then part of the contract is you don't go out and relitigate the same thing, at least not right away. You wait to see whether or not some of the things that were decided and dealt with uh, one way or another have some positive effect. And to Chantal's point, um, then come the policy measures, which we'll talk about, because I think that is part of the strategy that uh, the prime minister was working on to try to exit the defensive posture that the government is on put himself on the on the front foot a little bit, help the caucus feel that they have some things to say. And um, I think it, it couldn't have waited any longer uh, for the Liberals to have this conversation uh, with the House returning next week, and we'll see how that goes. All right. Before we break it down with the, with the policy announcements, re- remind us again, of, for the, especially for those watching on YouTube, what, what's your dog's name? <laughs> Theo. Theo likes to come in for Theo. a quick hello in the morning. Yes. Yeah, Theo, Theo came the in. Silent there. one. Theo came in, opened the door, walked in, uh, listened to about two seconds of your analysis, and then turned around and left. Now, he's heard it. I rehearse it with Theo. You know, this is not just me talking at live, right? <laughs> Theo and I talk about it, and he's like, okay, yeah, you're on the message. It's good. Carry on. Uh, I assumed that That's he. What he I assumed he walked in in the middle of you saying that things had gone, you know, like semi all right for uh, Trudeau, and that Theo was actually a Polyev voter, and so he just said, "I'm out of here." Or I don't think I or said you were saying, "When does he say <laughs> it's still? It, it remains to, uh, a dog's breakfast." Dog's breakfast. That's <laughs> yeah. what he's gone for. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, let me break it down into the into the policies because. As I said earlier, some of these could have been announced a long time ago. And in fact, um, you know, the housing thing was announced a, a year ago, but they actually put the money to a particular project this week, just happened to be in London where they were holding a caucus meeting. And then, you know, it's always good to target the enemy when you're in trouble. And so they targeted the grocery chains. Um, and... And then what was the other one? They 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 put some money back to those small uh, GST housing, uh, taking off the GST on the construction on of residential housing, uh, right? rental housing, right. uh, zoning changes uh, expected from the municipalities to lift restrictions and uh, uh, a requirement to build close to public transit. Uh, or else you can't access the federal infrastructure bank. And if all of this sounds awfully familiar, what I've just been saying is because you probably heard a variation of it in Pierre Poilievre's mouth all summer. Um, and that is called how you um, neutralize an issue. And clear, you embrace what the other guy has been saying. You don't say it like that. Um, leaving him to sputter that you copied him, which 
actually gets you nowhere with voters. And I think that package, as it was announced yesterday, I cannot tell you that it's going to do miracles. I think there are shortcuts in the strategies of both the liberals and the conservatives and what they promote on housing. But it certainly will make it harder for Mr. Poiliev to say, I have a plan and he doesn't. And to say he's got my plan, uh, it, it, it kind of of puts the conservatives in the position of maybe attacking the liberals on housing, but at the same time, it's hard to go after something you've been saying that you would do if you were the prime minister uh, to resolve the issue. I have to say, watching yesterday's two announcements, that for the first time in months, I'm not saying it's going to work, but at least I understand the rationale behind the strategies. Uh, in this housing case, to take away enough of the parts and of, of the conservative proposal to make it uh, hard for them to show a big difference between the conservatives and the liberals on housing. And on groceries, uh, well, as we were reminded rightly uh, on the National uh, on Thursday night, Back in his end-of-year interviews, Mr. Trudeau was asked about groceries and the NDP's contention that something should be done about them and basically dismissed the idea as not particularly interesting or effective. And now, Justin Trudeau yesterday was basically singing uh, Jokmeet Singh's song, I think because it's probably good politics, but I also think because there was a clear signal there that they are giving the NDP as many reasons as possible for Jokmi Singh to go to his party's convention next month and say, this deal still works for us. Look at we what we got on uh, groceries, our battle. Uh, and here again, I can totally understand the strategy, i.e., keep the NDP happy so that parliament keeps go keeps going so that everyone gets time to try to reverse the trend in voting intentions. Stealing your opposition's uh, platform ideas, policy ideas, is um, uh, right out of the liberal playbook for decades, right? They've done this to the NDP and the conservatives over many years. And uh, and you're right. It, you know, it, it doesn't, it tends not to backfire on on them. And it uh, and and attempts to uh, uh, take away the impact of the criticism coming uh, from the other parties. We'll see how it plays out this time, Bruce. Well, wasn't the biggest one of those of all the Zap You're Frozen and yeah. then the Inflation Reduction Act yeah. uh, example? Sure. But they took that. They they and made that move after the election. It's like the before the election moves. But you're right. The wage and price controls seventy four. Uh, and what about the Clarity Act uh, on Quebec secession? A terrible uh, reform party idea that was uh, led by Stephen Harper that became Jean Chrétien's great accomplishment uh, on the unity front. Uh, no one seemed to feel any shame, and it certainly worked wonders for the Liberals. Shame uh, in those situations, the uh, appropriation of an idea that's popular. Uh, shame doesn't come fully loaded and there's no shame price to pay usually. Uh, I think that's absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> I think that there's no question that you could have looked at the initiatives that the prime minister announced yesterday and said he could have done those months ago. Uh, on the case, In the case of having a, a sense of urgency and uh, using the bully pulpit on food prices, he should have done it. I think we talked about it um, maybe a year and a half ago um, when when we were coming out of the pandemic and those food prices were as high as they were. That probably would have been a better time to start the process of the conversation with everybody in the supply chain uh, that's responsible for the components uh, of the price of food. Um, still, um with the evidence that food inflation is still running quite a bit hotter than uh, other aspects of the economy, inflation, other aspects of the economy, it's a good thing to do. Um, and a good, you know, it was a good political move, I think, by the government to put itself less on the defensive when it comes to cost living. Uh, they announced a couple of things, as, as you both have said, on the housing side. Um, the HST on rental is, I think, a challenge for many people to understand how that's going to create 
uh, a specific benefit for them in any kind of near term. But uh, I happen to have uh, people that I know in the building community who've been telling me for a while, uh, and you can see it in the reaction um, after the announcement, that uh, that is going to unlock a lot of building uh, of rental accommodation. So it doesn't solve the home ownership question for those who are are looking to buy a home, but it will help ease some of the pressures that a lot of people are feeling about rental accommodation, especially in our in our cities. Um, so I think these were useful uh, political policies. I think they're probably good uh, public policy ideas, although the grocery one is still to be defined. It's really just we're going to have a conversation and we're going to expose the light of public scrutiny on the uh, on the grocery chains to a degree that hasn't been the case before. Uh, whether that's completely fair or not, um, I think it's too soon for me to have a judgment on that anyway. But the last point for me is, um, is what does it really say about what Trudeau is trying to do? Rather, you know, in addition to he's he's getting well behind in the polls and he, he needs to take some dramatic actions. He is at his best in terms of uh, public support when he looks like he's helping defend people against the things that they are most worried about. And at different times in the past, that has been... Um, climate change. It's been uh, prejudice and bias in society and a pushback against minority groups. But it isn't that right now that people are most preoccupied with. It is the cost of living. It is the health of uh, the economy that they live, not the global economy or, or the macro economy even in Canada. And he hasn't been particularly visible for most people. Um, in terms of defending their interests and looking like he's aggressively interested in that uh, for, a, well, I was going to say for a good while, but I don't know that I've ever seen him really play that role. Uh, the other time that he played the role of, I'm going to help defend against something that you're worried about, is obviously COVID. Um, so what he seemed to be doing yesterday, whether it was deliberately thought this way or not, is moving into that role of the things that you're most worried about, I'm preoccupied with, and I'm going to take steps necessary to help you. Whether it takes, whether people still want to listen to what he has to say, whether his ideas will seem more appealing than Pierre Polyev's, and I just read Pierre Polyev's policy, and it is a little bit more detailed, but basically the same as the one that uh, that Mr. Trudeau is talking about. Um I don't know how that's going to go. I think to some degree it depends whether the Liberals can come together as a communications force, deliver the messages consistently, stay on that plan of defending the consumer's interest and and fight back against the uh, the Conservatives. It's a lot uh, on their agenda. Um, and next week will be an interesting one to watch. But I was also interested in, the, well, I mean, the MP standing behind oh. Justin Trudeau it's kind of par for the course. And if you're an MP there, even if you don't feel like it or you're not happy, what are you going to do? Say, <laughs> I don't want to be here uh, and, and just make gestures to say, no, no, no. Uh, but I was uh, interested in the fact that he had Christian Freeland next to him on the one side. I don't think that she was heard from during that news conference. And François-Philippe Champagne, who has been all over the place, uh, making good news announcements with premiers who are not friendly to the government, Premier Ford in Ontario, Premier Legault, they're about to announce some other investment. He has probably been the most visible federal minister over the past six months that has been at the same time visible and associated with good news. So no Marco Mendicino, I didn't mean you. Uh, someone who uh, is seems to be hyperactive. I was looking at him making some announcement this week, and I was thinking, does this person ever sleep? Um, because he's, he's like that, that that battery commercial, just always on the go. But that's the person that uh, Trudeau called on to talk about the grocery uh, issue. And it was very interesting to watch François-Philippe Champagne, who's worked in Europe, uh, and is one of the rare real retail politicians in the Quebec caucus and in that cabinet, talk about the French example and the fact that Carrefour and the big 
grocery chains there have been forced or are being forced by the Macron government to freeze prices on, on a host of, of uh, products. And I thought, you know, there it's this is a good cop, bad cop. Justin Trudeau is saying, I'm inviting you for coffee in my office, which is about as friendly an invitation as being called to the principal's office when you're in high school. But you've got Francois-Philippe Champagne saying, Think of all those bright ideas they're using in France to force prices to be frozen. And um, I think we're going to see more, as we have seen more of Dominique Leblanc, we're going to see more of François-Philippe Champagne uh, going forward over the next few months, because this is a government that seems to have discovered that retail politics finally matters. Okay, Bruce, I know you want to, to, but I, I just want to pursue for a second the the Christian Freeland thing, because I, I, I found that increasingly of late, she looks out of sorts in, in some of these things. And I, I don't know whether it's because she's upset or she's disinterested or what, but uh, and this from a person who has been seen for the last few years as a, a potential successor to, uh, to Justin Trudeau. Am I reading that wrong? Or, I mean, is there something going on with Christian Freeland or not? Does it, do either of you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, Chantal. Over the course of those blunt conversations that took place behind closed doors, my understanding before they happened was that uh, the criticism was going to extend beyond Justin Trudeau to uh, the finance minister. Uh, I did not talk to very many liberals who were going in there to say, uh, great, uh, Christian, we're on a roll here, and if only you weren't there, we would be in deeper trouble. So I don't think that this was necessarily a pleasant uh, couple of days uh, for the minister. Okay. Bruce, sorry, I uh, cut you off there. No, no. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to pick up where Chantal was going with uh, the mention of François-Philippe Champagne's role. I thought that it was interesting that he is he's becoming seen inside the liberal apparatus, the caucus, the cabinet as uh, the person who's doing quite an effective job of talking with and about the business community and the economic marketplace and uh, articulating a, uh, a kind of an optimistic, uh, focused, energetic or maybe focus isn't the right word, but an, an energetic uh, agenda. Uh, on the economy for the liberals. I think he's he's done a better job of that than anybody else has. And um, and that when uh, something goes bump in the night on an economic initiative, he's also quite adept at responding to it. Uh, the PBO report on the uh, subsidies for EV battery uh, manufacturing was a good case in point in the last two weeks where there was a risk that the story that was going to develop out of what the parliamentary budget officer said was going to make the liberals support for that sector seem uh, economically foolish. Um, I thought he did a good job of kind of stepping into that fray and putting a lid on that pretty quickly by describing the weaknesses or what he saw as being the shortcomings of the, of the PBO analysis. And, um, so he's not only good at talking about the economy in terms of positive initiatives, he's good at playing defense when on those occasions when it does need to be played. And so I wasn't surprised in a way to see him stepping up, except in in this way, which is that the government, ha- this government has rarely um, done something so apparent in terms of putting somebody that you maybe didn't expect into a communications role that they didn't have before. Um, and so that was one. And another one uh, that I noticed maybe similar and maybe I'm overreading it, but um, Mark Miller uh, was doing some of the spokesmanship uh, around the caucus uh, to the media, to some of the media anyway, um, describing the conversations in the way that uh, he felt that they should be described. And I, I have a lot of time for his uh, his brain power, but also his communication skills. Um, he doesn't over adorn things. Uh, he he speaks in terms that people can understand and relate to, um, and he has that sensibility for not sounding like everything every day that every liberal does is perfect, uh, but that there can be some 
you know, some messiness in the kitchen or whatever the metaphor is that we want to use. He's pretty good at that. And I noticed he was doing that and Champagne was doing what he was doing. And I thought they do need more of this kind of innovation and in how they look to individuals to to bring different messages to the public. Okay, I want to talk a little more on that, but I, I got to take our first break. We'll be uh, right back after this. And welcome back. You're listening to Good Talk on the, the Bridge. For this Friday, Chantel and Bruce are here. You're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167. Canada Talks or on your favorite podcast platform or you're watching us on our YouTube channel. Um, okay, I want to pick up on the Mark Miller thing because, I, you know, I, I know he has a, a pretty good reputation and uh, and he's now in the immigration portfolio. He had been in the Indigenous file for, I guess, right back to 2015, right? I think he's been there all along. Um and was uh, and enjoyed that file and worked hard at it. Um, in terms of blunt talk, I saw him quoted, and I assume the quote was accurate last week. And this raises the question: of, Do do the liberals have to be much more blunt in their in their challenge on Pierre Polyev? Because. Um, Polyev said some things about uh, about Miller's handling of, uh, of uh, one of his files. And uh, Miller shot back, and excuse those who, you know, we try to keep this, you know, fairly clean in terms of the language here, but... Uh, We're the cleanest you, podcast in the world, I think. So we, carry we, on. We are, and, carry uh, on. Uh, I'll, uh, I, yeah, you've well, been appropriately warned. We don't warned. want some of our eclipse to go viral. So. <laughs> yeah, good point, well, right? Keep this. Um, uh, well, let me just say it. He, in, in response to uh, Polyev, he called him a serial bullshitter. Um, now, that's pretty blunt. And I just wondered whether is, is this going to be are, are they going to take the attack on Polyev to a new, new level, seeing as clearly whatever they've been doing hasn't worked? He's, the guy's got a 15-point lead in the latest poll. Um, and be able to back that up with some facts, right? You had a challenge like that. Um, is this something they're going to trot out in their, in their ability to or their attempt to, uh, to challenge Polyev? Who, uh, who wants to run with that? Not whether or not it's a good thing. Do we think that that is what they are about to do? I think they're going to, first of all, um, thank you for saying the exact expression. Um, that word is probably, uh, if I were doing a list of the, the cuss words that I don't want my five-year-old grandson to say, that would be down the list of things I'd worry about. It's not the most uh, egregious one, but um, it is what he said. And it was uh, a bit out of, um, out of the zone uh, that government politicians normally, or politicians maybe more generally normally occupy. And I think that was probably by design. It was to, uh, to make a point that landed uh, with some notice. Um, so as to whether or not we're going to hear more of that specific kind of language or really whether it's a signal that the government or at least some people in the government are determined to try different things, uh, to grab a share of voice and say some things that that make people think twice uh, about this uh, growing support for Pierre Polyev, I think it's the latter. I don't think we're going to have a cuss fest. I think we're going to have a variety of different things tried to uh, stop uh, and 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 get voters to think about a Polyev in a different way, and whether it's too late, uh, I don't think it is. I think there's a lot of time left on the clock. If the liberals, um, if the liberals pursue the uh, the politics of their situation more aggressively and more creatively, so I'm not saying I think that's the most creative thing that could be done, but at least it is kind of breaking the mold of government speaking like governments do in language that people don't hear because it sounds too boring. Um, and uh, Miller is good at doing that. 
Chantal? Um, first, first, a uh, time uh, timing is, uh, announcement. So Mark Miller from what I saw from Quick Research was appointed to the Indigenous file in 2019. I suspect uh, as part of that shuffle that worked out so well, uh, when Jody Wilson-Raybould was moved uh, from uh, justice to, uh, where was it? Veterans Affairs. Uh, right. But so that that is, but that was quick research. Uh, as for the change in tone, well, I don't know if it's going to work, but it's essential uh, maybe not to, to pry off a lot of votes uh, from uh, from Pierre Poilier, but at least to give liberals, those that remain and those that may be tempted in giving uh, a second look to staying rather than leaving, uh, a sense that the liberals are are, are engaged uh, in, in this debate and in this conversation. It doesn't really uh, work terribly well, or it has not for the liberals to just wait for the media to call out Pierre Poilier. Uh, it's, it, 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 and the media has done the fact check uh, issue on both parties. Yesterday, it, it took a matter of minutes after the prime minister said he was removing the GST on, on rental uh, building construction for a journalist to dig out the promise to do exactly that that dated back to 2015. But that all of that is, is not enough if the, the people who are constantly being attacked for being responsible for everything that is bad that happens to you over the course of a day never ever respond except with bromides. Uh, it, it's, uh, there was a column this week which I thought was accurate. It's, it's like they, they've been absent from the conversation. Uh, and, and allowing uh, Pierre Poilievre to define them as opposed to them trying to define the the person who most uh, stands to have a shot at replacing them. I think many, many liberals have been itching to have a, a more direct conversation, if you want to call it that. I agree, um, yeah. With, with the conservatives. And I think a lot of voters have been looking at this saying, well, you know, who, who are these guys? Uh, they're the government, and all they, they keep saying is, instead of getting into specifics or saying this is wrong, the answer is, you don't understand how good we are. Yeah, right. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. But yes, I expect a, a much tighter uh, back and fro between the government and the opposition, the, the official opposition over the next few months. Stephen Guibault is uh, somebody who's adopted a more pugilistic stance in the last uh, week or two as well. I think it's to his credit and to the government's service that, that he's done that. Um, and I think that on the uh, on that issue in particular, it's a it's an interesting one because the government has definitely been on the defensive around carbon pricing and to the point where you felt like, OK, this was a policy that many people thought was a good policy. Many people probably still do. I think it's a good policy. However, the politics of it had become uh, a losing game uh, for the liberals uh, to the point where you thought if they're talking about carbon pricing, they're losing ground because the cost of living is an issue and Polyev is kind of using it as a cudgel. Um, and I don't think the answer for the liberals to that, uh, those attacks by Polyev was to kind of explain the rationale for using carbon pricing as a policy tool or to describe again, how serious a problem climate change is. Um, but uh, to go on the attack against the lack of a plan on the part of the conservatives, it's still maybe the most gaping hole uh, in the policy lineup for Pierre Polyev as he tries to, if what he is trying to do, and it looks like it is to me, trying to develop a platform that looks uh, uh, appealing to mainstream Canada and devoid of those culture war features that keep mainstream Canada from entering the conservative net. The missing piece, the big missing piece, is something that feels credible on climate change. However, that might not be a problem for him if the liberals don't highlight it, if they don't sort of take it to him. And the way to take it to him isn't he doesn't care about the planet. It's that he doesn't understand the economy uh, because the right climate plan is a plan to shift the economy and be competitive with the rest of the world as they do that. 
And I've seen uh, evidence in the way that Stephen Guibault is talking about this issue, that he's moving into that space. And he didn't really occupy that space before. So I think this is also a, a sign of the government kind of addressing some of the weaknesses in their strategy. It's interesting. I would qualify that with uh, the notion that uh, Stephen Guilbeault can do part of the job on this, but the real way to do it is to get ministers who have economic portfolios, uh, thanking François-Philippe Champagne, among others, to engage uh, in that field, because if Stephen Guilbeault is not going to convince Canadians uh, of the economics of this battle, someone who has economic credentials in the eye of voters is going to be doing that. And that won't be Justin Trudeau. No, I agree. And I think uh, Jonathan Wilkinson has been on that page and uh, and Champagne somewhat. And, uh, and I think it's, it's right. But I think the missing piece in some respects has been a sense that the environment minister was at a counterpoint almost to the uh, to the decarbonization and economic renewal agenda. And I don't think you could look at what he's doing now and say that he still looks like that. In fact, it looks more like there's alignment in the government rather than depending on which door you went in, you might get an economic point of view or not. Okay, let me Sorry, let me, let me, let me take that uh, from a different angle. What what you both have just suggested in the last few minutes, because you've you've named three or four different ministers who've taken a, a change in tone in the way they've uh, dealt with the issues as they confront the the opposition leader, and as a result. I'm wondering whether whether the prime minister is leading or following, uh, given what we witnessed with, from him in the last uh, couple of days. You know, it's been an interesting um, spring and summer for the prime minister. He's been traveling a lot, while a lot of this stuff has been bubbling at home. Um, inflation, you know, housing issues, the polls have plummeted. He comes back, and in 24, 48 hours drops a, a few announcements, has his photo up. Um, and, you know, I got to be careful here. Bruce will jump on me again. Not saying that he's come back, but that there's a tone in the coverage that it's been a successful couple of days for him um, and, and may have blunted uh, some of the uh, the drop that they've had. We'll see as, as future polls come out. But here's the question. You watched him yesterday, and one of the troubles he's had uh, in front of the cameras has always been kind of the sincerity factor and whether people actually believe that he's that he believes what he's saying. And I was wondering what you thought about yesterday's performance in terms of the sincerity level on the part of Justin Trudeau. Did he seem sincere on these issues, the key ones, housing, groceries, um, did he seem sincere, Chantal? I, I rarely watch politicians looking at the sincerity index, not to be <laughs> cynical. But I am well aware that there are two Trudeaus. Uh, the one I saw at the convoy inquiry uh, when he testified, and the bland, the mealy-mouthed, uh, not terribly sincere one that always has my back and that I had to have virtual lunch with for almost two years during the pandemic. Um, I totally believe that Justin Trudeau is leading the government at this point and not following, that he's not a a king that has so lost his way that his suitors are trying to tell him go right or go left. But I am reminded from past experience that there are many ways to lead. Uh, Jean Chrétien, when fatigue was setting in, used Paul Martin to the hilt uh, in all kinds of ways uh, as as someone uh, who would, as a team that would continue to lead the government uh, on the economy. Now, I have no doubts that the one who was leading was Jean Chrétien and not Paul Martin. Uh, at that point, but it served uh, the the purpose. And I think Justin Trudeau probably understands that this magic is worn off and that he needs to showcase people on his team who are effective or more effective than he could be at this juncture in this term uh, at, at carrying out uh, the government's missions. What struck me most 
wasn't even the prime minister. It was that, you know, over the past few weeks, because it's not just a good two days. I, I taught the launch of the inquiry into Chinese interference with Dominique Leblanc leading uh, that announcement also gave the government uh, more than decent day. But what strikes me is that uh, I've seen very few of those new ministers. Uh, there were so many new ministers that we so desperately needed in July over the past couple of weeks. And it seems to me that the government is uh, banking on its uh, experienced hands for salvation, uh, which again begs the question, what was the purpose of the government shuffle that we saw? That feels like a year ago now. Um, on the point- It hasn't aged well. No, yeah, I, look, I think that uh, um, Justin Trudeau is at his very best as a communicator when um, his knowledge and his competency uh, uh, shines through. Uh, I think that's been true in debates. I think it was true in the uh, convoy hearings. And I think it was somewhat true yesterday. So when there's a con and, and it was true at different points in the uh, in the COVID experience, um, he is somebody who's disciplined about making sure that he is kind of briefed on the merits of different ideas and comes to a conclusion after a period of thoughtfulness and uh, um, and he stress tests idea. And if I were describing what I think were the successes of the government, I would say it is in the area of competence and, and being willing to kind of take a little bit of time to make sure that you're putting the right policy mix in place. And there are some really important policies that his government has brought forward, which for which he deserves credit um, and uh, and doesn't receive very much anymore because that's the way that politics goes. However, um, the drawbacks for him, I think, are less in the area of communication. I'll agree with what you said. And I remember that we were saying this kind of thing about him before 2015. Um, and so there's a version of his communication style that a lot of people just don't don't love and and uh, came to like better than what Stephen Harper was doing, but probably are are kind of still done with it now. But his biggest problem right now is that he presides over a government that is too slow uh, to spot issues that need to be dealt with, too slow in terms of uh, acting on the normal dynamics of government. So you have people across government who are really frustrated with the way the center slows them down. Uh, prevents them from taking bold action, doesn't give them a strategy to work with, doesn't give them a communications framework that they can feel uh, enthused about, uh, but still holds all the cards from the from the standpoint of power. And you could have said that that was a reasonable way to approach things in 2016 with a, with a large number of rookies around the cabinet table and a, a significant advantage in public opinion terms. But this many years later, with a lot of experienced hands and 15 points behind, it's a terrible uh, situation. And so for me, um, yes, he needs to be better at talking in blunt terms about the things that people care about, but he's going to need to solve some of those management challenges in his government, uh, or he's going to be back in the same soup uh, in a month, in two months, in three months, in four months, and that winter is going to feel miserable for him. Okay. So, um to Bruce's point about uh, it worked when they had rookies that they could order around, it makes you wonder whether part of the rationale behind the cabinet shuffle and the bringing in of so many rookies was to take out of the cabinet people who would become um, experienced enough to stand up to to the orders coming from the center and to what everything Bruce has described I've heard uh, for months now. Uh, and you kind of wonder, do you like to boss Wookiees around more than you like running a government that actually performs and delivers? And I think that question should be put to the people who are uh, in the prime minister's office. Okay, we're going to take our final break, and then we come back with our uh, last segment of Good Talk for this Friday. Welcome back. We're into the final break, final segment of uh, Good Talk for this week. Chantal and Bruce are here. I'm Peter Mansbridge in uh, Toronto. Well, they're actually not here. Chantal's in Montreal. Bruce is in Ottawa. But they're here, like, in the airwaves, right? 
Um, in the same time zone. In the same time zone. We are. Uh, Monday, the House of Commons sits again after its uh, summer break. And there has always been this misconception on the part of some of the public who feel that, geez, they sure get long holidays. They've been away for months. Uh, for some of them, it's not much of a holiday. They're back in their constituency offices, and in some cases, they're getting hammered by their constituents over various issues, so they're coming back. Um, and one wonders what the mood will be like. We've talked a lot about Liberals today, uh, but there are more than Liberals in that House of Commons. It is a minority parliament. Um, we got uh, five minutes left. What's the... Uh, what is the expected mood of those MPs as they come back to town, sit in uh, Parliament to discuss the nation's business? Chantal? I think the opposition parties are all going to be in a fighting mood, but who they need to fight is not necessarily always uh, the same party, i.e. the government. I think uh, the Bloc Québécois uh, and uh, Mr. Blanchet, its leader, are coming back to the House thinking... Pierre Poilievre has spent the best part of the summer uh, attacking the bloc whenever he's been in Quebec. And I don't think for a second that uh, Mr. Blanchet wants to let him get away with it, especially since, um, and and at the same time, I have to argue that the bloc Québécois really does not want uh, fatigue with the liberals to set in so deeply in Quebec that people start thinking about changing the government rather than sending black MPs to keep the government in check. So it's the crossfire will be interesting. That is also true of the NDP. Uh, there's a convention coming next month. Chuck uh, Singh will have to go through a confidence vote, but he will also have to uh, talk about his pact with the liberals. So he, too, has a balancing act, and he, too, is looking over his shoulder at the conservatives, thinking uh, that, like the government and like the Black Québécois, none of the parties have an incentive in allowing the official opposition to lead the opposition parties or to look good. Uh, and that should make for interesting dynamics uh, going forward. I do not expect the government to be at peril of falling uh, through a confidence vote anytime uh, before the budget in the spring, and we'll see where we are then. So basically, we're not going to have a suspense over will they survive the year or not. I don't think that's in the cards or in the mood of uh, two of the three uh, main opposition parties. I think for the Conservatives, Peter, this is the first time that um, in a long time that the Conservative caucus and, and the leadership will be understanding that this session of Parliament is in effect a bit of an audition for them uh, with Canadian voters. Are they ready to be government? Will they sound like people who are um, capable of running an effective government rather than just being effective politicians? The distinction being, um, do they seem kind of, uh, have, have, have they matured enough in the role uh, that they have as critics of government policy to put questions that have bite, but also sound like uh, they're coming from someone who would do a better job uh, than the government. So I think there's an addition quality, audition uh, quality for the conservative front bench, especially coming into this. And part of that is uh, the role of the director. Will the uh, will Polyev's office and uh, team uh, cause them to have a successful audition is part of the question there as well. So I'll be interested to watch that. Um, they haven't always uh, been able to keep that kind of message discipline or that through line um, in the past. They've got people with different perspectives who are capable of saying some really kind of wild things sometimes. Uh, but I haven't seen much of that lately, and I'd be surprised if they don't approach this audition scenario with a, with a fair degree of energy and commitment. On the Liberal side, I think there's really uh, two tests that um, they need to pass. One is the are they out of gas test, and the other is are they too self-satisfied test. Uh, because on any given day, uh, when ministers stand up and answer questions in the House of Commons, they can look like they're out of gas or sound like they're too self-satisfied. I think they know now uh, how serious their situation is. I think that the timing of this caucus was quite helpful for them in terms of galvanizing a sense of, okay, we all see the same risks. 
and we have a certain commitment to energize and to support one another. Um, but that's, I think, the the game plan for them is to is to show that they've got a lot of energy and that they've got a, they believe that they've got some important things to do going forward for Canadians, not just uh, looking backwards. Um, in the last minute here, do do we end up seeing a different uh, Polyev this fall and going into the next year? Is the transition? Is there a, tr- a transition likely from the sort of attack dog to uh, the statesperson? Does, does I doubt it. Well, he won't be wearing glasses. Uh, but can't wear, like can't wear his T-shirt in the house. I don't think he can resist it. Uh, he's, he always... There are many times when he, he should walk, you know, just ignore uh, the temptation and he doesn't seem to be able to ignore those temptations and the role of a leader of the official opposition does cast you in that role. His problem is that that bump in the poll, it came when Canadians were no longer submitted to a daily uh, showing of the attack dog in the House of Commons. So uh, the more you see Pierre Poiliev in that kind of partisan attack mode, I suspect the more you risk turning off those recent converts to supporting his party. What, what, do, you, do you have 15 seconds, Peter? You have 30 seconds. Oh, great. I think that one of the things that he's adjusted over time is that he's not saying Canada sucks uh, anymore, which is kind of an interpretation of this Canada is broken thing. He is not um, saying uh, crypto is king and these guys don't get it. I want to fire the governor of the Bank of Canada. He is very critical of Justin Trudeau. But he ties his criticisms, I think, more to specific policy uh, weaknesses that he sees on the part of the government. And I think that makes more people hear what he has to say and say, well, he makes a good point or he's making a point at least that's relevant not to a personal dislike of the prime minister or a hatred of every liberal in the country or uh, a kind of a deep affection for the furthest right wing of, of his party. And I think for him, that's a, been a productive shift. All right. That's how you turn 30 seconds into 60, and, and well done. Good for you. Good luck to you. Good luck to you, my friend. <laughs> Have a great weekend, both of you. Bruce Anderson, Chantelle Bear. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Take care, guys. 